0: welcome nexus church family to our series we've titled fix your thoughts now i realize that (laughs) that kind of sounds like i'm telling you you need to fix your thoughts not exactly what it's all about it's based off of philippians 4 8 where paul tells us to fix our thoughts listen to this on what is true honorable right pure lovely and admirable think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, there's no denying that in your life, you're going to go through valleys, difficult seasons, where things around you just seem like they beat you up. And everywhere you turn, it's just conflict and struggles and negativity. If you're listening to this, within a a few weeks of its release or a few years of its release, we're still recovering from the COVID pandemic that hit over three years ago as of recording. That seems like a long time ago, but we're still feeling the effects of everything that happened in that timeline. Everything in our lives was completely obliterated and changed for months, for some people, years. Lives were lost. Loved ones forever were taken from us. Our relational lives were changed forever. Socially and politically, things just went crazy, right? And so we are still recovering from that. And around us is a lot of tension about who can we trust and where do we go from here? Simply put, when we read a passage like that, it seems so far removed from our reality. What is true? What is pure and lovely? Is there anything like that? And so throughout this series, we're going to be hammering on that. What is it that's true? Can we focus on it? Is there anything? What is honorable? What is right? What is pure? What is lovely? All these things are important if we're wanting to find health in our thought life. Because we know that our thoughts become our behaviors, our behaviors come our Beliefs and our beliefs become who we are. We want to take that down a path of wholeness, of health, of hope, of belief. And so today, we're just going to be laying the groundwork for that passage. We're going to be kind of going up a few verses from that and starting in the beginning of Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to be examining. Where was Paul in this? Who was he writing to? Why was this so important? And is it even applicable or parallel to what we're dealing with today? And I believe the answer to that will be simply yes. What Paul is writing to us today is the same as what he was writing to in the time of its original intent. We can cross the centuries. We can come to today and say, man, what he was dealing with, what he was fighting, we can relate, and so with that, let's begin by reading Philippians chapter four, verse two. And again, throughout this this time together today, I want you to understand: if you get nothing else out of this, that you can live an abundant life in your thought life. Jesus promised us in John ten ten that He came to give us life and life in abundance. That's just not a, a maybe a, a financial or physical state of being. That is in who we are inside of us. The abundant life is inside of us, not in our surroundings. Jesus didn't come to give you a perfect, happy, go lucky, everything is flowing in the outside world kind of life. No, he came to give you an abundant life inside, in who you are. No matter if the world around you is crumbling, and if you have no job, and if you're looking for a home, and you can't find anything, you can still have the abundant life inside of you. That's where I want you to feel the power of this message today. God is for you. He wants you to have an abundant life. So with that, Paul writes, Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, I urge Iodia and I urge Cintic to agree in the Lord. Now, whether or not I pronounce those names right or not, forgive me. <laughs> yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co workers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, here's where we're going in the next few weeks. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. And you'll notice that. My version's a little different than the one in the CSB translation. I just picked one that was a little more concise, and great to the point. So in this passage, we read that there was some individuals. Now, what we understand is these particular people that he wrote to, at least the ones he named in this passage, were women. Women who were at one point crucial to the work that was being done in that particular city, Philippi. They were Paul's agents of work. They were a part of the team. They were spreading the good news of Jesus Christ to people who had never heard it before. And people were being saved and welcomed into the family of God. And so these people were important, but something had happened. There was a relational Conflict that occurred between these two women, and so Paul is writing not only to them, but to whoever this person, this true partner was. He wrote to them, saying, "Help them." This this conflict is not just impacting these two individuals, but it's impacting the whole community of faith. It's it's hindering the gospel of Jesus Christ from going further. And it might even be leading people astray and away from God and away from the family of God. So write to them. Write to them. There was a need for hope again. Maybe you can relate. Maybe maybe you found yourself in a season where things just aren't right. Maybe you can really relate to relational conflict. I think if we're all honest, we've all struggled with it from time to time. Maybe you're not a good place right now, but chances are, if you live long enough in the next few months, you will experience once again relational conflict with somebody. It hurts, it leads you astray. Whether it's relational conflict or emotional conflict inside of you or just situational conflict, like, The job is just a struggle right now. Maybe grades are a struggle right now. Maybe it's just life in general. It's not what you would hoped it to be. Wherever you might find yourself, everybody can understand and relate to the fact that conflict happens. And it takes you off of the mission God has for you. Is life. And we know that the enemy of our soul, it, this, this spiritual force that's at war against God, he's against us because we are God's agents for proclaiming the truth and the good news of Jesus. And so there's no doubt that the enemy is not happy with us. And so he's going to throw things in our lives, whether it's situation or relationships, whatever it is, he wants to destroy God's family, the church he wants to in- destroy you to make you ineffective and focused on the distractions of conflict so that you aren't being used for the kingdom of God and so he was this is what was going on and so what does Paul do what are his his four directives as i call them to change this what does he command these two women and others, in particular, this one true partner, whoever it was, that he was writing to. What does he command them to do to change what we would call maybe the culture or the atmosphere or whatever you want to call it? What does he write to tell them to get this right? He begins by saying, rejoice. Like, like, not apologize, not repent, not anything else, but rejoice. That just doesn't seem right. It seems odd. It seems so contrary. But yet, this is this is Paul's mo. This is how he lives. Listen to the beginning of the letter of Philippians, Philippians one, verse seventeen. He says that there was people who opposed him. In fact, they opposed him so much that they sent him to prison where he was chained. And he said that these people who opposed him preached with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. He had relational conflict to the point where they wanted him gone. They wanted him destroyed. And these were people within the family of God, presumably. So these were people who were supposed to be on his team, but yet they opposed him. Why? Who knows? Maybe Paul was saving more people or impacting more people in the community than they were. And so they they were angry, and they, they wanted him out of the way so that they could get a bigger following. I'm not sure, but something's going on here. But listen to how Paul responds to this relational conflict. He says, that doesn't matter. This is Philippians 1, verse 18. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached. Either way, so I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. Paul didn't care about their motives. All that he cared about was that Christ was being Preached. He kept his eyes on Jesus in the middle of being chained in prison. This rejoicing isn't based upon our situation, it's based upon the kingdom of God continuing to go forward. So when he says rejoice, what he is saying is get your eyes off of your situation, your conflict, your situation that maybe at work isn't going right or at school between this group and that group. Get your eyes off of that. Get them on God. Right? We'll be focusing more on that to come in the next few weeks when we focus on what does he tells us to think about. But rejoicing gets our, our eyes off of our situation and gets it on God. It realigns us with him. And so he begins by telling them to rejoice. And then he says, be gracious or be gentle, some translations put it. Be gracious, be gentle. Now, David Guzik uh, A wonderful commentator put it this way. This Greek word, epiechia, whether I pronounce it right or not, describes a person who is really free to let go of his anxieties and all the things that cause him stress because he knows that the Lord will take up his cause being gracious and gentle so often we think of is is kind of a a thing you do right but it's really not a thing you do according to this greek word it's more of a state of being it's how you are inside you don't feel like you need to fight you don't feel like you need to 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 fix things right you trust That God can take care of you. That God sees you and that he cares. In other words, what Paul was stating is that when Iodia and Cintic trust God to care for them, they're they're going to stop caring about what happened between them, how she wronged her or, or what she said. Or so often what we think happened, right? Man, today is so full of, of situations and people who assume assume that because they did that, that they're angry at me. Well, how do you know? Did you actually ask them? I'm so guilty of this. Like, this is one of the things that, that my wife is really challenging me on. And it it's hard. 'Cause I don't even realize I do it sometimes that I'm assuming that they said that and so they're mad at me. Or they did that. So they're they're done. We so often get caught up in assumptions and trying to take care of things ourselves. But when we when we get this epiechia inside of us, this gentleness, this graciousness, we're saying, God, you're in control. You're bigger, you're better. I, you're going to right the wrongs. This hurts. And I and I want to change it. I want to fix it. But I know that. need to let you work in that person's life. I need to let go. And yes, I'm responsible for my actions. I'm responsible for how I treat them. But if they're angry, they need to come to me. I can't assume. If they're not willing to admit, I need to trust that you will change their hearts. And that if I've wronged them, they'll come to me. And if I'm really concerned, then I need to go to that person. We need to be gentle. We need to be gracious. Trusting that God cares and sees your difficulty is the beginning of finding that abundant life, of fixing our thoughts, trusting God, believing. The next thing that Paul says is don't be anxious. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry. Don't be anxious, some translations put it. So I want to ask why do you worry? Why? What causes you to be anxious? It kind of goes back to that epiechia, right? That trusting God we get we 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 worry or we have anxiety because we feel like things around us are out of control, and I think that's why i i i'm just i have this this sense right now that in our culture in america there is there's a lot of tension there's a lot of anxiety that people are experiencing a lot of relational conflict I think part of the reason why I feel this this message is so needed right now is there is so much. Weighty relational and situational conflict that seems to be just everywhere. And this this hanging kind of ugh (laughs) is the best way I can explain it. We're, We're just in a state of constant chaos. And I think it's it is a result of going through a long season and now coming out of it where there was so much that was out of our control. We didn't know it was coming next. We were constantly having to respond to things that we had no control over. And I'm telling you, when you feel like the world around you is spinning out of control, you worry. You get anxious because the reality is you can't change something that you can't control. And so the first thing that happens is anxiety rises. You start to worry. You fix on these. You fix your thoughts on these things, and you ruminate. And rumination is just a constant thinking over and over about these situations. And pretty soon, it it, be, it becomes a thought process, right? Rumination becomes a thought process that becomes who you are. And when you can't change it, and you keep thinking about it, that worry starts to become a belief. And the belief becomes who you are, and it becomes your life. We have so many Christians right now who who are experiencing the same things everybody else in the world's experiencing. When Jesus said to you and to me, I have come to bring you life and life in abundance, he meant it. But yet, we're not living it at all. Far too many followers of Christ are living out of control, feeling that worry, thinking about it over and over because we can't control it, and things haven't changed. And so pretty soon we lose that hope and that belief that God is for us, that God cares, that God's in control, and that what we read of in the Bible is true because it's not reality. The point is, God does care. He's with us in the valley. And he's seeing us through and he's, he's changing us and he's molding us into his image. So Paul says from a jail cell with people around him who are followers of Christ, proclaiming the message of Christ, but hate him and want him in chains in prison. He says, don't worry. Don't be anxious. I trust God's going to get me out of prison. He's going to provide for my needs. The gospel of Christ hasn't stopped being proclaimed. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to trust and not be anxious. And next, he says to pray. To pray. To make your petitions known. To pray without ceasing. With what? A thankful heart. So there's two thoughts going on here that Paul tells us. The first one is that we are to make petitions or make our requests known to god now this is this is something that i don't know i think it's it's a it's just an assumed thing in the christian world that that we do that but we have to get below the surface and ask why do we need to ask right god knows already that's one of the foundational things in Christianity is that God is all-knowing, omnipotent, omnipresent. He's, he, he knows all things for all history at all times. And so why do we make our requests to God when he already knows what we're thinking? He already knows our need. It's simply put, our admission acknowledges our need to God. It's us acknowledging to God that we need him and we're releasing our control. God, I need you in this situation. I can't do it. You are in control. I am not. I'm giving it to you. There's something psychologically that's going on that we're removing ourselves from the throne and putting God on the throne and saying, this is yours. You are all powerful. I'm not. And then trusting. And not putting yourself back on the throne after you get done praying, saying, All right, God, I gave it to you, but I'm taking it back. Right? No, truly letting go. Can you do that in a relationship? That's what he's telling these women. Trust God, tell him your need. She hurt me. God, I know I need to forgive her. I know I need to move on. I know that she's a sister in Christ and we need to make this right so that we can go forward. God, I can't do it without you. Will you change my heart? Will you change her heart? And trust that he can help you. Don't ruminate on it anymore. Don't keep thinking about it, about the conflict and the situation and how things can't change and how things aren't going the right way. Just stop it. Make your request to God. He hears you. Let him have control and step out of the way. We're to do it, second part, with thanksgiving. Now, again, when we come to God and we make a request, typically it's because we're in a situation where it's not good, right? In this particular situation that we're reading, this is a relational conflict that's, that's hindering a community from both being healthy and proclaiming God to the city around it. So Paul says to pray, make your requests. This is difficult, but with thanksgiving. What does that do? It goes right back to the very first point of rejoicing. We're changing our mindset the difficult situation that we're dealing with, right? we made our petition, God, this is hard. But now I'm looking to you and I'm thanking you. I'm realigning my thought life with you. I'm putting my thought life on whatever is true. We're realigning. And it helps us to be back where we need to be. Gets us in line with God. Changes the culture of our hearts. Whether things work out the way we want or not, when our hearts are realigned with God, when our heart is back to a place of being full of the abundant life that God calls us to, of not carrying our burdens, not worrying, not being full of anxiety, not letting the conflicts determine our culture, of our heart, of inside of us. It doesn't matter what's going on. Around us, we can have joy. We can have joy. It doesn't matter what's going on. Around us. So whether you find yourself in a valley today, whether it's relationally, situationally, internally, emotionally, mentally, wherever you might be in your journey with Jesus, you will enter into valleys, seasons of difficulty. But you don't have to let your thought life enter into the place of the valley. You can live in abundance, even in difficult situations if that's where you are at today, I want to close with one statement that I didn't cover in the passage. And that is verse five, where Paul writes, the Lord is near. Now, traditionally and accurately, that refers to the coming back of Jesus Christ, when he would usher us into his kingdom of eternity and he would make a new heavens and new earth. And we look forward to that day. But what really struck me as I was processing this is that God is near today. He will be near in the future when he comes back and brings us into glory, but he's here today. He's near. When you're in the valley, God is with you. When you're in a relational conflict, God is with you. And if we could just get that simple thought into our hearts and into our minds, how much would that radically change us? When you're having that that argument with your wife or your kid or your boss or a brother or sister in Christ or your neighbor who hates your guts, like, whatever it might be that you find yourself in or just a depressed state of being. You, you could, if you could just remember that God is with you right there, right now. And that he cares for you, that he wants you to have an abundant life. That he wants you to find freedom. How much would that change your state of being? How would that change your thought life? I truly believe if we could if we could just get that, it wouldn't matter how terrible we find ourselves in a situation. It doesn't matter how far America or your country, wherever you're listening, is from God and how much it persecutes its people. We can see in history. Situations where people find themselves in severe persecution, and yet they're full of joy. Why? Because they understand that the Lord is near. That they're not bound to the chains of their situation or the emotional, relational conflict they might be dealing with. They don't have to allow that to dictate where they're at with Jesus. They can find abundant life right where they're at even in severe persecution. Maybe you don't relate to severe persecution, but internally you're experiencing that. And I want to pray for you today. I want to pray that God would open up your eyes to the reality that he is near, that he's with you, that he has abundant life for you internally. The situation you find yourself in, it may not change. But that's not the point is you can have abundant life inside. So, Father, I pray right now for that person listening who either has gone through some severe conflict in their life, that it's maybe even turned them away from you at times, that you would remind them that in the middle of the deepest, darkest valley, you are there. In the middle of the most severe conflict, whether it's relational or situational or even emotional, God, you are there and you care. You desperately want them to experience the abundant life you have for them. So God, right now, in the name of Jesus, would you open up their eyes, open up their heart, Open up their ears so they can see, hear, and believe again that you are near. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today, Nexus Church Family Online. And I look forward to next week when we unlock the first thing that we can fix our thoughts on to find the abundant life Jesus has for us. We'll see you again.